0: our walk with you, uh, that we would all be encouraged as well, Lord. It's so often that we can be um, beaten down by temptation, by sin in our life, by discouragement, by the trials of this world, Lord, but we pray that you would help us to know, just as it says in your word, that you are continually with us, that you guide us with your counsel, and that one day afterward you will receive us, to glory. And so we pray that you would help us to see that in everything that we do. And Lord, today we're going to open your word. Um, we're going we're to look into your word and we're going to see some wonderful truth about who you are and what you have coming, um, where you're bringing the world and what that means for our life today. And we need that word, Lord. We need your help. We need your truth. We need you to transform us. And so we ask for that, Lord, right now that you would help us to be our hearts to be like that good soil that the seed went into uh, and, and it grew and bore fruit. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us that. Lord, I uh, I am weak, and I pray that you would um, help me in my weakness and that you would speak through what you've spoken. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning and welcome. Uh, I'm Josh Husang. I'm the uh, pastor of Youth and Families. You might have known that because it's National Ask the Youth Pastor to Preach Day, right? Um, I ever that's not really true. I mean, it's not it's not a set thing per se, uh, but I do get a lot of text messages usually on the Sunday after Thanksgiving being like you breaching you on today, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, Scott uh, had a higher calling today and he's working in childcare. I'm pretty sure. So uh, so <clears throat> so he's he's serving with the babies and, uh, and and I've got you guys or you have me. However, today we're going to be in First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 uh, so you can go ahead and be turning there. We're going to read verses 50 to 58 in just a moment. Um, we've been, uh, you, you, prob- you might be surprised that we're not in Isaiah. We've been in Isaiah all semester. Uh, we've spent all of, Isa- uh, all of December in Isaiah chapter 40, which was fantastic. Um, love Isaiah 40. And uh, man, what a, great, what a great ending to it last week. The promise uh, uh, that the Lord uh, doesn't tire or grow weary and that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles. They'll run and grow weary, and, and walk and not faint. Uh, man, what a what a great call! I I think that even though we're moving to First uh, Corinthians just for a brief pause in this, I think the message is the same. Uh, that we're called in what we're going to read today to wait on the Lord. And th- this passage has particularly to do with the resurrection. Um, and uh, we'll what will, ult- what the resurrection is what ultimately will fulfill uh, that we will run and not grow weary and that we will walk and not faint. So that renewing of strength, that waiting on the Lord will ultimately have its, have its finished work in uh, the resurrection. A-, a little note on 1 Corinthians, Just so usually we preach through a whole book of the Bible so you get context as you're going. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of that. Paul is the author of 1 Corinthians. This is a letter that he uh, wrote to the church in Corinth uh, where he had spent about a year and a half in the early 50s uh, AD. And, and in this letter he's writing to a Gentile congregation. They had grown up not in the Jewish faith and they had uh, been, in, many of them had been involved in paganism and, and various forms of immorality. And you can see how uh, their new life in Christ is not without challenges of old ways and old influences uh, continuing on them. So there were several things that Paul is writing this letter about, one would be that there are divisions among them. Uh, there are some that are saying they follow Paul and some Apollos and some, you know, that, that kind of thing. So there are divisions. Uh, there was sexual immorality uh, among them, which would have been a part of their past and, and is continuing to be a part um, of someone in their congregation. He's exhorting them about that. Uh, the believers are suing one another uh, in court instead of trying to reconcile uh, as Christians. Um, and, and on top of all that, there are some false teachings that Paul is trying to uh, deal with uh, throughout 1 Corinthians and you can see it it, when you're reading through there's a lot of uh, quotation marks around things and that seems to be sayings that were popular at the time uh, that were uh, false teachings uh, that people were latching on to so a few of them would be uh, one would be food is for the stomach and the stomach were uh, for food which apparently was a sort of summary statement for the idea that you should just um, you should satisfy any craving that you have like y- if you have that craving you should just go for it that sounds a little like the world that we live in today um, another one all things are lawful f- for me uh, another one that's very identif- identifiable for us today right I-, I can just do whatever I want um, there were people running around saying uh, uh, things against like you shouldn't get married there was confusion over how to deal with uh, past with idolatry like people were eating food sacrificed to idols and what should we do with that um, confusion over what to do during the worship services and the Lord's Supper and all various things. But, and Paul deals with each of those along First Corinthians. But he saves what I would consider to be the most important uh, uh, false teaching, misunderstanding, whatever you want to call it, for the end. And that has to do with the resurrection. Uh, so he spends the first part of First Corinthians 15 Rehashing the gospel, he talks about Jesus dying for our sins in accordance with the scripture, buried and being raised, all of those things. And then he he goes in and starts to attack this teaching that there is no resurrection from the dead. And he talks about that. We're going to pick up in verse 50, though we will go back and and, uh, refer to little bits of the whole chapter um, uh, as we go on this morning. So, verse 50, let's stand and read God's word together. I tell you this, brothers... be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. Uh, I know I'm the youth pastor and I'm supposed to have really like current uh, pop culture things, but I've got no current pop culture references for you today. It's all old stuff, so sorry uh, kids. Um, I'll, I'll I'll get online and try to update myself lately. Uh, la- la- later this week, for when youth comes back in. Um, but in the movie Castaway, um, <laughs> <laughs> the, and the, the kids will laugh because I've used Castaway many times. Not for this particular illustration, but it's just—it's go- a gold mine, All right. Um, so in, in Castaway, you have Tom Hanks' character Chuck Nolan. He's a—he's a FedEx executive, and he's—he's uh, he's on a plane in the South Pacific, it's carrying cargo, it's carrying FedEx passages, packages all over the world, and he, uh, y- you know the story if you've seen it, sorry kids if it's too old, you're like, what is this, uh, who is Tom Hanks? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, he gets shipwrecked uh, uh, on this island by himself, um, and, and he is totally alone, and that's, that's, that's the plot of the movie. Uh, but, but early on, uh, some of the packages that were on uh, this FedEx plane start to wash up ashore and so there's a whole scene where he's opening these different packages and he's trying to find things that uh that are going to be useful to him as he tries to survive on this island so some of them are useful like uh or some of them are not useful like vhs tapes again kids sorry vhs tapes um some of them are vhs tapes some of them are like ice skates so he uses them to open coconuts and things like that right so he uses all these different things and There are all these um all these items that are going to be helpful but he takes one package Um, that has little like angel wings on it, like a sticker, and he doesn't open it. He just keeps it. And the whole movie, that drives me nuts, because I'm like, what if it was a satellite phone or something? You know, kind of thing. But that's not the point. That's not the point I'm making today. And that is, he he holds this thing, and he keeps it the whole time. The years and years that he's on this island, he holds it as a kind of a um, a, a, a memento, something to look at that is like a representation of his hope, that his life on the island is not all that there is. So this, this package that he'll look at, he keeps in his living space or whatever, this package, he's, he's gonna look at that every day and he's saying to himself, I'm gonna deliver that package one day. In other words, everything that I'm doing here in this moment is for the point of me getting off of, the, surviving so that I can get off of this island. And it can be really easy for us Um, to get really down in the weeds of our day-to-day life and lose perspective about what our life is about and what we're really heading towards. And so my hope is that this morning, as we consider the resurrection, that we'll lift our eyes and put our hope in in what God has for us and where he is taking us for all eternity— and that will affect the way that we live as individuals and as a congregation moving forward. So just like he's looking at that package, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to deliver that one day. This is not all that there is. I'm getting out of here one day. There's something else. Then we're looking at the, the beautiful message of what God has for us in the resurrection. We're going to hold that together. So we're going to look at what this passage says about why the resurrection is even a necessary thing for us to believe in. Like, why, why do we even believe in that? what it actually is, like what will happen in the resurrection, and then how that affects the way that we uh, live our lives. So, one, why do we need the resurrection? Um, in trying to counter the false teachers uh, that have come in among the Corinthians, Paul spends a, a great deal of 15 explaining why the resurrection is something that's believed. So here's a couple of summary statements for you of, of what he says beforehand. Um, Number one is we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. So for for Christians to say that there's no resurrection from the dead would be a denial of what we believe, you know, at the very core of Christian doctrine. If Jesus was raised from the dead and we believe that, then we have to believe at least that there's theoretically possible that we would be raised from the dead also. And then he takes that line of reasoning, like if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then what? And he says, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then our faith is in vain. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then his victory over sin wasn't real, and so we're just kind of, this is all pointless. If there's no resurrection, then we're misrepresenting God because we're running around saying that God raised Jesus from the dead when he didn't really raise Jesus from the dead, so that's, that's a problem also. And then finally, he says if there's no resurrection from the dead, then we're still in our sins. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we're still in our sins. And it, he says that we should be a people that most to be pitied. What, what, pointless, what a pointless faith that is. I believe in someone who didn't actually save them. They're still stuck in their sins. So he's trying to say the resurrection is absolutely important. He's talking right here about Jesus' uh, resurrection and then moves on and talks about the idea that we will be resurrected one day. This whole line of thinking, us being uh, remaining in our sins, um, points us directly to where we are at the beginning of the passage we've read today. Look, look at verse 50 again. It says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of, can, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Um, flesh and blood. So what, the, what does that mean? That means humanity in its current state cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's two sides to this. Paul, Paul is primarily talking about the second part, but I do want to stop before we get on to the part about Christians and the resurrection and say, humanity in its state cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, we, we are born in sin. We're born under the curse of, this, of sin. We're rebels against God, dec- God's decrees, and we want our own way. Uh, Paul's words here mirror Jesus to Nicodemus. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Uh, He gives an unless, like a, a this has to happen, for that to happen. We're born in a way, our nature is such that we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Without Jesus, we're lost. We need to be transformed into something else. We need our heart, that is described in Scripture as stone, and unfeeling towards God, uncaring about God, and against all that God, God stands for, needs to be transformed. We need to have that heart of stone removed, and we need to have a heart that is feeling towards God, that understands our sin, that is repentant of sin. That, that's, that's, that's vital. We, without a, a change there, we can't enter the kingdom of God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took that punishment in our place. I know we've spent the last Uh, You know, several weeks celebrating Jesus' birth uh, for Christmas. Uh, but, But Jesus came and was born for the purpose of dying for our sins. Because humanity, in its current state, can't inherit the kingdom of God. In order for anyone to be able to be reconciled to God, enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus had to die in our place. Thankfully... Because Jesus did that, by repenting of our sins, by asking for God's forgiveness and turning away from our sins, God looks at us, forgives us of our sins, and then gives us the righteousness of Jesus. He looks at us and sees us as if we had never sinned. That's wonderful news, isn't it? It's wonderful news. So by repenting of your sin and turning to uh, Christ in faith, you can be made right with God. And so I would say to you this morning, before we move on to any other points, I would say, if you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, now is the time. Today's the day. It, no, virtually nothing is asked of you, right? Like, you just believe. You just trust in what Jesus did, and you turn away from your sin. He gives that to us. So we have a gospel need. We have, we have a need that's down to our foundational core, but there's a second part of this, and this is what Paul is referring to ultimately. He's saying, even as we are, so those of us in this room right now who are Christians, who have put our faith in Jesus, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. In in other words, he's saying, even as we are right now, we are not suited in our current state for eternal life with God in Christ. And I'm not trying to say that you're not saved, all right? Don't don't jump ahead of me. I'm not saying that uh, it means you're not a Christian, but I'm saying Christians right now are not ready, are not suited for eternal life. Something has to change um, in order for us to be ready for that. Um, So, um, both internally and externally, we are unfit for the kingdom without something that will be the resurrection, okay? Uh, First, we're headed to an eternal kingdom, but our bodies are temporary. That's like the, the absolute face value reading of flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He's saying we have bodies that are temporary, and uh, so we literally, physically, are unsuited to go to the kingdom. Uh, we're unsuited for that kingdom because it's an eternal kingdom. Um, again, older reference, but there's a, a, a artist I love. John Foreman is his name, and he has a song called "Broken from the Start," and it says, "Life is a gift like fresh-cut roses, cut from the branch and brought inside. It's a slow contradiction. Its beauty in a vase." When our cords are cut, that's when we start to die. In other words, from the moment we're born, we're on a slow march towards the end. That's, that's the reality for everyone. Now, whether you live a, comp- uh, a, you know, a, co- a comparably long life or a very short life, we are all headed towards the same end because we are born under the, f- the curse of the fall. And that means ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It means the minute we're born, the time is, is ticking on our life, and it has a definite end point. Our, our physical bodies are perishable. They're going to end. Um, you could probably, uh, like, you understand this. You feel this, especially the older you are. I think you understand this more based on the kind of noise you make when you're getting up out of a chair. That sound fair, right? <laughs> the longer that noise is, the more you get what I'm saying here, right? Uh, we we are in uh, in sort of perpetual decay. I remember reading that like all of the c- cells in your uh, skull, this might totally be not true, so sorry science people. Um, I remember reading that all of the, uh, the cells in your skull like regenerate every like seven to 10 years. So that means by the, like every seven to 10 years, your face is just a copy of a copy of a copy of your face. Just slowly declining something that didn't look like you before. You know, that's just the way that it feels. Um, you lose your hair, you know, like that kind of thing. You go on and on and on. It's, it's true. I, I make light of it, but, but in all seriousness, um, we, d- we don't like to sit and think about uh, the reality of our death. We try to avoid that like the plague, right? We, we really don't want to, uh, to sit and think about that, but it's certainly true. We are perishable we are finite and as much as we would like to kid ourselves and as much as your social media uh you know feed is full of like um uh facial creams and uh teeth whitening and whatever else we can do you know surgery or things like that whatever we can do to kid ourselves into thinking that we're going to last a little bit longer than we are the truth is our days are numbered and that means we're not fit we're not suited as we are to enter an eternal kingdom uh, so how can a temporary mortal body that's starting to break down the minute it's born live in an eternal kingdom? Well, it can't. So physically we're unsuited for this kingdom. The second thing is, it's not just a physical, uh, you know, physically being unsuited, but we also have an internal problem too, even, even Christians. So even though uh, our sins have been forgiven through faith in Christ, we still deal with indwelling sin. We all know that. You don't become perfect when you become a Christian. We're still tempted. We still fail time and again, daily. And I think it's often the case that, you know, I know I know I've made a joke about the, the longer you groan when you get out of the chair, but I would guess that if you're a Christian and as you, as you groan longer and longer when you get out of that chair, you probably also have a deeper awareness of your own sinfulness. When you say, I feel like uh, I thought I was sinful when I was, you know, a teenager. And then I, I feel like even though I've grown, I feel like the awareness of the depth of sin in my own heart has increased. Um, and it just becomes even more apparent, like, that's not suited for an eternal kingdom either. We have, we have an internal problem. It makes me think of Paul in Romans chapter 7. You know, he gives on that, goes on that long litany of, like, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And I just feel like that, um, that is such a picture of, of sometimes what it means to struggle with sin. Uh, Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, man, I'm 40 years old. Am I still dealing with this? Have I grown so little that I'm still dealing with these kinds of things? Have you ever had that feeling before? Uh, Yeah, Uh, because we still have indwelling sin. A change must happen in order for us to be suited to be in an eternal kingdom with God. We need a change. And that's where, the, that's where the resurrection comes in. So now, let's look at the, the rest of this passage and talk about what is going to happen at the resurrection. 51, he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Okay, so let's talk about that for a moment. So, so in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. When we're talking about the trumpet, what he's talking about is the end which means the return of Christ. The resurrection will happen when Jesus returned. If you're not familiar with Christian b- belief, uh, this is a big one for you, okay? Is that Christians believe that one day Jesus will physically, bodily return and that, and that all the dead will be raised and uh, God will remake the heavens and the earth. There'll be a judgment and, um, and, and those who have put their faith in Christ will spend eternity uh, with, with God, and those who have not because of their sin will spend eternity in punishment. And uh, it, the trumpet that he's referring to is, is Jesus' second coming. Uh, so like, for example, Matthew 24, 31, Jesus says, And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And so what, what Jesus is doing is he's identifying that last trumpet call with his second coming. Uh, So what Paul is doing here is he's highlighting that, number one, this coincides with Jesus' return. And then also that this is like a sudden, unexpected uh, thing that's going to happen. In the same day, we can't know what day, you know, when Jesus is going to return. So it is with with the resurrection. We don't know when it's going to happen. It's something that we are, however, called to be prepared for. Jesus tells many parables about us living faithfully Uh, keeping the return of the master of the house in mind, that that kind of thing. So we should be prepared for it. We should be looking forward to it. And we should be living our lives uh, in accordance with the fact that it's going to happen. Uh, So in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, that's what's going to happen. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, what in the world does that mean? Uh, He's using sleep in this moment to refer to believers who have died. Uh, before Jesus uh, has returned. So he's using sleep just to highlight the fact that that they're not, they're not gone forever, that they'll be raised. That's, that's what he's trying to say. Um, but for the meantime, uh, we believe that when, when a Christian dies, their soul leaves and they go and they are in the, in the presence of God uh, there. And that's often what we think of when we think of heaven, right? Like if you think about spending uh, eternity uh, uh, with God in heaven, we often think, Clouds and angel wings and harps and that kind of stuff, right? Um, and and uh, I would say not the angel wings or the harps necessarily, but we do believe that that uh, that Christians are disembodied at death in at this point and they go and be with God. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, "You'll be with me today in paradise," right? And so we believe Christians go and they, they are with God in in soul, but not body. But then that one day something else will happen here. Um, so some believers will be alive when Jesus returns. So not all, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So at that time, uh, Christians who've died in the past will be resurrected, and those who uh, have not died yet will be changed, That's what he's saying. And then what happens after that? He says, well, the perishable, look at verse uh, 53. Um, it says, well, excuse me, at the end of 52, it says, for the trumpet will sound, And the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this immortal body must put on immortality. Okay, so this is what he's talking about when he says the resurrection uh, from the dead. Um, So what is that going to look like? This is the big question. Paul Paul deals with this question just a little bit before our passage. Um, People are asking that question, and I'm thinking as a youth pastor, like, uh, if I was talking about the resurrection from the dead, you can bet uh, that some student is going to ask a zombie-related question. That's just what's going to happen. So like, if you're preparing a youth uh, lesson, let, you're just ready to field that question. Well, the truth is that Paul was ready to field sort of that question too because they're like, well, what kind of body are they going to be raised with? What does that even look like? Which is like First Corinthians uh, talk for, are they zombies or something? Is it like that kind of raised from the dead? And he says no. So he does describe what that's going to look like. He uses the analogy of a seed. He's like, look, when a seed gets planted in the ground, it kind of undergoes a death, right? It goes down into the ground, and it's sown, and then something else is raised from it, and so it's, it's similar. There's continuity. It's still that thing that went down into the ground, but it's, it's different, and the same for you and me. There's continuity. We will still, be, you know, I will still be me, and you will still be you in the resurrection, but what will it be like so if you look at verse 42 to 44 he gives a couple of uh indicators and i want us to just walk through each of those to talk about what we can expect okay so it says verse 42 so it is with the resurrection of the dead what is sown is perishable what is raised is imperishable it is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Okay, so he gives, he gives these couple of different um, descriptors, what's sown and what's raised. So I want us to do for just a moment is to talk about each of those. First, uh, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is is imperishable in other words free from the effects of the fall will no longer be perishable uh, we are imperishable perishable i just i don't know what the first thing you think of when you think of perishable i think of like canned goods right or milk in the fridge or something like that you don't open the milk after uh the expiration date it has a definite end right that's us but after the resurrection no expiration date after Um, in the resurrection, we'll have new bodies, and these bodies will have eternal life. They're not going to gradually break down over time. They're not going to get sick. There'll be no more head colds. There'll be no more broken bones or cancer or mental disorders or arthritis. These bodies will be 100% whole. So, we, we all have different experiences with, with how, we, uh, h- how we feel the things that I've just uh, described, but I want you to know um, and keep before you that any of the pain that you feel physically, any of the disease that you have dealt with physically, or you've seen people deal with, or had loved ones who deal with, in the resurrection, this will be no more. You will interact with one another and with God as a 100% whole person in absolutely every way and so if you per- especially want to say if you're if you're a person who deals with like a chronic uh health problem man i i i am so sorry um i've had friends who deal with constant pain um and i have seen just how that affects them and i, and I will just say keep in your mind that one day that pain will be gone one day that pain will be gone um and any other form of, of, of difficulty physically, those will not be there anymore. So if you can keep that um, in your mind, that'll be the case. Um, so what is perishable will be imperishable. Um, these new bodies will, be, will not be dishonorable or weak. Instead, they'll be identified by glory and power. So it says what is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. Um, I, I, think, I think what's being talked about here is Our bodies and and ourselves will no longer have the propensity to sin. We won't even be able to sin any longer. We won't struggle with sin. We won't be tempted to lust or to lie or to lash out in anger. We will no longer put ourselves above others or raise created things above the creator. We'll see God as he is and we will value him above all things. And so I'll say to you, keep fighting. Okay, there will be a day when temptation will not be a thought to you any longer there will be a day when the fight will not be a fight any longer because Christ will have returned and you will be raised in glory like Christ and you will experience God in all the fullness uh, and all the holiness that he intends you to and so I'd say use that to keep, keep fighting. And then finally, uh, he says these new bodies were natural bodies and now they're spiritual bodies. I don't really know what a spiritual body is. That's a hard one to get across, right? Um, I don't really know what that means. Uh, it, you know, maybe it, we think sometimes we think about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It seems like he's physical. You, they put their hands on him. They touched him, right? And yet he... I don't know, goes through walls and things like that. That makes me think a little bit about that. But I think at the very least, here's what I would say. I don't want to get all spec. This would be another place where kids in the youth group would like want to, this is where we want to camp out. What does that mean? Let's talk about that. And then we'd have a 10-minute conversation where I'm trying to rein them back in. So nobody raised their hand. Um, <laughs> but what I do think that we can take at the very least about having a spiritual body is that our body's capacity to experience and know God will be at the highest possible degree anything in our physical nature that prevents us from seeing and experiencing God to the fullest will be gone and we will now be able to connect with him in a way that we never could as as we currently are so your experience of God will change in a way that you have not known before in a spiritual body this is just a glimpse of, of like what things will be like. It's a mystery, like Paul said at the beginning. We're, we don't know all the details. We don't know exactly what it's going to be all about, and we can't speculate on much of it. Um, but the things that inhibit you now, both physically and spiritually, uh, will h- hold no place uh, in the resurrection. It's going to be a beautiful thing. And then, and then we get this passage that, uh, that uh, Paul refers back to from Isaiah 25 and Hosea 13. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Is your sting? Um, in the New Testament, uh, some, many times our salvation is talked about in an in a already accomplished thing. But sometimes in the New Testament, our salvation is talked about in future tense. And I think both of those things, uh, both of those things are true. Uh, if you trust in Christ, your salvation is sure. You can put your faith in it. You can trust him. You are as good as saved. You have the righteousness of Jesus. uh, God looks at you and sees the righteousness of Christ. You are saved in that sense. But because death still reigns in our world, because sin and the fall are still running their effects everywhere in everything, and and because we're still dealing with death in our own bodies and indwelling sin and things like that, because of that, our salvation has not been fully realized because The last enemy to be destroyed is death, is what Paul says earlier in chapter 15. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And on that day, when Christ returns, when he resurrects us, there will be no more death. we We have the victory in Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross gives us victory over death. And at that moment, we will be finally saved. And so just like, just like what we said um, in, in Isaiah, right? We'll, we'll run and grow weary, we'll walk, and we won't faint. The effects of the fall will no longer have hold on us. Death and sin will have no longer have hold on us. That's what it will be like. And that is a beautiful truth. So what I want us uh, to do now um, is take a moment and think about... Um, what it has for our, for our lives each day, the last few minutes that we're in here together. Look at verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I love a good pep talk. You guys like a pep talk? Like in a movie? You know, it's like the, uh, the coach, you know, he's in the locker room with the team, and it's halftime, and they're down, and, and he's going to, you know, he's going to drum them up come on guys, you can do this, right? Or the, 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 uh, the general, he's on his horse, he's got a painted face, he's given the speech uh, before the, the, uh, all the warriors and they're going to go out and they're going to fight, right? You love the pep talk uh, or the, the pep, well, I don't love the pep talk where you're looking at yourself in the mirror saying I'm good enough, you know, kind of thing. Um, not so much, but we like a, we like a pep talk. The, this can sound a little bit like a pep talk and I feel like there have been times in the past when I've used this passage as a pep talk. It's just, it's kind of like, ugh, you can do it. You know, be steadfast, be immovable, that kind of thing. But that's not what this is. Pep talks are just like meant to drum you up so that you'll try harder. This is a pep talk that actually is stating something that's, that's sure and accomplish something. He says, therefore, that means this is not a pep talk. This is saying, because we know that God is moving all of history in a direction that brings you to a, a resurrected, completely whole, undying, holy self. Because that absolutely will happen. Therefore, be steadfast, be moving. Do you see the difference between a pep talk and what this is? So this is more like the game is already fixed. It's already, we're already winning. We've basically already won. I know exactly what's going to happen. Now go out and do it. That's what's being said here. This, this has power behind it so how can we keep this in our mind you remember uh, at, at earlier we were talking about tom hanks and i don't have a separate tom hanks story i'm just back to the castaway again he had that he had that package right i'm just thinking about all the years that he had that package and it wasn't so much just that this thing was a symbol every single day wasn't was a a practical exercise of his faith that he would get off that island in not opening the package. You see what I'm saying? Every day he could have gotten up and said, "What if there's a satellite phone in that package?" And instead he said, "No, nope, I'm no, I'm going to get off this island." Okay? So, every single day he had to exercise his faith that he was going to get off that island. And I would say each day we have opportunities to put the resurrection, to put the end that God has for us before ourselves in acting in obedience. So I want us to walk through a few things that we can be steadfast, immovable, and abounding in the work of the Lord. Number one, uh, steadfast. The, the, the term steadfast means immovable, right? We live in a world that is shifting all the time. The, the way people think, what people think is right or wrong, all kinds of things, they're moving all the time. We would do well as a congregation to remain steadfast in holding ourselves to God's word. The best way to stay, uh, to stay uh, still is to fix yourself to a, an immovable object, right? God's word is an, an immovable object. It is eternal. It, we read about it earlier, right? It, it stands forever. And so we would do well in our remaining steadfast to look at God's word To give us the definition of what steadfastness actually is. Otherwise, we're just moving around with whatever the world or the culture tells us to do. So as a congregation, let's commit together to be in God's word and to hold it above all other things. Um, We should be steadfast in, it says abounding in the work of the Lord, right? What's the work of the Lord? Well, one would be that his name would go out to all the nations. So we should be steadfast in that we are sharing the gospel with people. In other words, in light of the resurrection, if I'm holding the resurrection in front of me, if I'm holding the end and what God has for all of human history in front of me, then I should look around and I should see people as perishable people who need to put on the imperishable that only God can provide them because of the death and and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They need eternal life with Christ. They need forgiveness of sin. And so if I have the resurrection in mind, if I have the end in mind, then that's going to propel me forward to do the work that God has called me to do in sharing him with other people. Discipleship um, would be another one. Like, working with people is messy. Working with people is difficult because people can be annoying. You know, it's like, that's just what it is. Uh, sorry, I didn't, that's not you guys. If I said that to youth kids, then I would just be like, you guys are annoying sometimes. And that's just what they would say. They'd laugh and be like, ah, you're annoying too. Um, <laughs> discipleship is hard because people are, are messy. Situations with people are messy. But that doesn't mean we write each other off. When we as Christians look at one another, we say, God began a good work in you and he has promised that he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so as your brother, I'm going to walk with you through that, even if it's difficult, even if it's messy. And so we would do well as a congregation to keep the resurrection in our mind in the way that we deal with one another. And that, that, I think that also relates to unity, right? Think about that. The people that drive you nuts that are also Christians are people that you will spend eternity with bodily. Right? Like, like, you'll be in a physical location with them for all of eternity. It would, it would do us well to, like, show one another grace and acceptance and forgiveness and try to have unity uh, among ourselves as best we can. Um, sanctification. You know, guys, I, I, I talk with people all the time that are just downtrodden uh, with sin in their life. And I would say, you keep, we've already talked about it, but I just want to say it again. Keep the resurrection in front of you because... Uh, God is, is working in your life sometimes you can't see it sometimes it's, it's difficult for you to see and it can be really discouraging but one day one day all of that will be gone one day that struggle will not be a struggle that thorn in your side will not be a thorn in your side anymore you remember Paul talked about wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death Christ will okay and, and then with sanctification you know Keep fighting the fight. Talk to people. Use, use the gift of brothers and sisters in Christ that, that God has given you. Don't fight alone, but, but press on and, 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 um, and fight, fight the fight. And then finally, some of you this morning, we've already talked about this too, but I just want to say it again. You've had a hard year. It's the end of 2023. And if we went back and charted everybody's year, there would be some really hard stuff in there for For many 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 of us in this room and I would say brothers and sisters we're in this together and we serve a God who has made everything necessary he has done everything necessary for us to spend an eternity with him in heaven an eternity with him in a new heaven and a new earth in bodies that are unhindered uh, by sin or by decay And we can press on together and we can pray for one another and we can encourage one another and we can lift one another up. Don't lose heart. And finally, he says in this verse, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Guys, it's not for nothing. Christ is going to carry us home. He's going to bring us home. Let's hold that before us in 2024 and look to that, put our hope in that, and let it affect how we do everything. Let's pray. Lord, um, Lord, we just want, we want this. Uh, Come, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would help us to put our hope in you, our trust in you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to continue to worship um, and receive an offering.